Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, Jerry McCauley. Hello. Jerry, is this the biggest comeback since Lazarus? Um, maybe. <laughs> We've been back before. This isn't the first comeback. That's why I'm better than Lazarus. It's mm. the young man she wants. Mm. Yeah. This, is, this is Jerry Salvation. Oh, no, that was the fourth comeback. What was the third one? I was going to say, I hope the stuff is clear, but it's not Yeah. Anyway, I'm Matt Lamble. Hello, guys. As we Hello. get together to bring you the first... Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, Jerry McCauley. Hello. Jerry, is this the biggest comeback since Lazarus? Um, maybe. <laughs> We've been back before. This isn't the first comeback. That's why I'm better than Lazarus. It's mm. the young man she wants. Mm. Yeah. This, is, this is Jerry Salvation. Oh, no, that was the fourth comeback. What was the third one? I was going to say, I hope the stuff is clear, but it's not Yeah. Anyway, I'm Matt Lamble. Hello, guys. As we Hello. get together to bring you the first Failed Critics podcast of 2015, who knew we could go on for this long? Yes. It's not like 2015, so No. No, God, Christ, I can't imagine <laughs> what the state of us will be by the time that happens. Um... There's plenty of, of new releases for us to review later on. Everything from Birdman and the series, everything to uh, The Woman in Black, Angel of Death. Uh, but before that, we are going to start with our first quiz of the new year. With it now being uh, uh, some semi-regular people or guests on the podcast, it's now going to take the form of me and Owen versus the guests. Um, Owen is quizzing first. I am taking on the guests. So it's, it's two against one, very much in a, a blockbusters-style format, I suppose. Yeah, pretty much. I never understood. <laughs> I never understood what that was allowed to happen in blockbusters. Why you're allowed to go two against one? Yeah, I can't have an explanation for that, Steve. But that's what we do. I mean, sometimes 
it's going to be one guest versus you or me. And I thought, well, we'll take on two this time, mainly because I'm going to host it and you're going to compete. So I think that seems fair. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, basically we've changed it because um, a kind of format changed to the podcast. Um, we haven't kind of officially announced it, but Carol, who had taken over from James, um, has herself now semi-retired from the podcast for, you know, her own personal reasons, um, which is why it does take up quite a lot of time doing the podcast. So, um, rather than get any one person to commit to doing it again, we thought, well, we'll just get back everyone who's been on in the past and we'll get some new people because uh, it's always fun doing it with new people and that wasn't meant to sound like an innuendo, I apologise. But, you know, being this back like Gary and Matt, I think it'll be fun. I think we'll have quite a fun, fun year with a uh, rotating just, just um, imagine Mine and Owen's festive period as the bit in Ocean's Eleven where they go and put the gang together. Yeah, that was exactly it. Yes. And then we've kept Matt. And yeah. He's going to fake a Cockney accent for the rest of the film on Don Cheadle. That's, that's pretty hard for a normal man, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. I don't know if Under the Skin watched me or I watched Under the Skin. Very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether, whether I liked it or not. It was, some parts I thought it was quite interesting and then others I thought it's just a bit arsy farty and pretentious for the sake of it. Um, and yeah. yeah I, I think that's fair. Some of it does seem a bit, um, I don't know what the word is. Kind of full of itself. I suppose it is pretentious, isn't it? That is pretentious. Yeah. You know, I uh, really enjoyed it. I, and I was just keen to put you through the same experience I went through, and it seems like you've had exactly the same reaction I had at the end of the film. Yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely was in trouble with my top ten of, of last year. Had I watched oh, it wasn't? It. Oh, okay. No. Um, no. But yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think, I don't think, 
I've done myself any harm or waste any time by watching it. What you're saying is then, because it's similar in terms of it being a bit surreal and a bit weird, uh, you preferred it to Holy Motors? I, I prefer sitting in a dark room in my own for two hours to Holy Motors. <laughs> that was just that was just pretentious wank from start to finish. Oh, Holy Motors is better than The Room, so this was infinitely better. <laughs> yeah. Carol's, okay. par- Carol's parting shot at us was the make of what she was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, what, what's at stake with the new quiz, anyway? What's at stake? Okay, if you two, or whoever we've got on the podcast, so you might appear on another podcast where it's you, you, you're going to be the decider. Whoever the guests are, um, if they win three quizzes in total, then Basically, that means I win, and I get to choose the film Steve has to watch. Um, and I promise I won't make you watch Under the Skin again, or Holy Motors again. But then, say Steve beats the guest, he chooses the film I watch, and then we reverse roles. So it becomes me versus the guest, and Steve hosts the Right. Yeah. I mean, the guests are welcome, of course, to watch any film I believe you might like, but um, this is almost like a punishment quiz. It's a, it's a booby prize, isn't it? You lose, you've got to watch something that will either challenge or mainly upset you. The only time I won the quiz, I recommended a good film. <laughs> yes. No, you didn't. No, you made us... What did you make us watch? It was that fucking pirate thing. No, it wasn't a pirate. It was, oh, no, cut for eye. Yeah, one cut once and cut for eye. No, one the other time. And it was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about the guy who'd lived for like 5,000 oh, yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Last, no, a man who fell from Earth or something, something like, like that. Something like that, yeah. It was good though. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was alright. But then Under the Skin I thought was quite good. I thought yeah. you might enjoy some parts of that. Anyway, shall we quiz? We've got quiz. We shall, we shall quiz. start with a new, a new quiz. So, yeah, as we've explained, I'm hosting Steve's versus, uh, Steve versus Jerry and Matt. So the quiz format is still the same. I'm just going to read out a list of films, and you have to guess the actor or actress um, who I'm referring to. Same as it's always been, really. So, with that in mind, first film I'm picking is The Battle of the Sexes from 
guy who, you know, the start of the film, he's in the big empty mansion. And he sort of follows Lolita around. Okay, I thought you say that. Yeah. I can tell I so I can get a bit <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't mean to that, Matt. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, he was, in, he was in Lolita, and um, the next one I was going to go for was Doctor Strange, so I would have hoped you'd have got it by that point. Well, well done, Matt. That's the guest one nil up. Steve's losing. Exactly. That's, uh, excellent. And now on to the news, and oh, we have some Golden Globes-related activity. Yeah. Well, the Golden Globes, um, have been, they've all been nominated. Now everyone's got the nominations, and the awards are on the eleventh of January. Right, on the eleventh of January. So basically, that means between us recording this and recording our next episode podcast, um, the, the winners will be announced. So, we're going to have a little bit of a chat about the nominations, I think, because we haven't really talked about the Golden Globes um, recently, because we've had other things going on, like the Christmas podcast and Bell Critics Awards and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you guys think of the nominations? Should I just run through some of the um, standout nominations for films? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, okay, well, drama, five films nominated best drama, Boyhood, Boxcatcher, Imitation Game, Selma, and The Theory of Everything. Um, so obviously Boxcatcher's not out in the UK yet. Um, but, you know, The Theory of Everything I think we'll talk about later on as well. Boyhood was very popular last year. Um, Imitation Game was alright. Anyone seen any of these films? Uh, seen The Theory of Everything. Oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> seen, yeah. seen The Imitation Game. The more I see other films um, that's going to be up for nomination, the more it surprises me it's up for nomination. Not that it's a bad film, it's not by any way, shape or form, but it just seems to me that there's better films. Yeah. Well, I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch as well has been nominated um, for Best Actor for his role in that as Alan Turing. As well as Steve Carell from Foxcatcher as well. You know, um, I thought he was very good in it, but he took a while to warm to the role for me. I mean, I don't know, don't know how you felt about it, actually, Steve. I, I think it's a fair nomination for Best Actor. I just wouldn't necessarily put it as in the Best Film category. Yeah. Well, the, another person who's been nominated for Best Actor, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, the Nightcrawler, is a uh, Lou Blue. Um, Matt, I know you love my corner as much as the rest of us. I mean, that seems like a fair nomination to me, more so than Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I think, um, he's more than deserving of his nomination there. I just can't help but feel that this is going to be one of those ones where he's unfairly overlooked due to the, the subject matter of the movie, if you like. It's not really uh, award season material, is it? Um, Nightcrawler, so it's going to be one of those ones, I think, where it gets a tremendous amount of nominations, but also it's going to fall short for some of the more fanciable uh, items yeah. that are up for nomination, which is a shame, really, because that should be one of his more career-defining moments, um, and it definitely deserves his forwards for it. Yeah. Well, you, I know you were a fan of Gyllenhaal's Jerry, because I can remember talking um, at the end of Watch on one of the podcasts you were on, and he was great. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's terrific. I think, uh, I kind of, uh, touched on this in my review on, of Enemy as well. 
uh, on the site. We'll probably talk about it later, but I genuinely think he's one of the top actors around. So, I mean, I haven't seen Nightcrawler yet. Um, very annoyingly, my uh, my other half watched it without me. Oh, Very much in the strain of like Blast Off and the Full Monty and that kind of 
uh, way of making films. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, well, what about sort of Grand Budapest Hotel? Have any of you guys like that? No, it's actually premiering this week, I think, on Sky. So I might actually get around to watching that. So uh, that's one of the views at home again to get some Oscar bait. It's a weird film. I don't, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't call it award bait because it's just very Wes Anderson. James loved it. He did, yeah. Um, yeah, it is quite a funny film. I didn't love it, love it, but it's definitely a likable film. And St. Vincent is the other one with. Um, that seemed to be. Actually, this was probably the most mixed of the, the, the ones nominated there. Because I've heard people say, yeah, Bill Murray's brilliant in it, but the film's not great. But then I've heard other people say it's brilliant, but Bill Murray's just Bill Murray. So, I don't know. Any of you guys see it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably in the sort of the latter category. Okay. I wasn't expecting anything from it, I didn't really know anything about it either. I thought it, I just saw a bit of a 30 second trailer advert thing. Yeah. Thought, oh, that'll be moderately funny. It's got Bill Murray in and that, that one out of five spades is alright. Um, <laughs> was not expecting it to be as serious as it was, but it was a very surprisingly good film. But then I went into it with no expectations at all. I think you always enjoy a film more when you have no expectations and it surprises you rather than maybe expecting it to be good and it just being good rather than amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely does. Yeah, definitely. So, the best uh, performances, just very quickly to, to, to mention a few from um, comedy and musicals. Uh, Ray Fiennes for Grand Budapest Hotel. Bill Murray for St. Vincent have got nominations. Joaquin Phoenix for Inherent Voice as well. We're really looking forward to that. Um, so, I so really hope that's going to be good. But um, As well as that, you've got sort of Emily Blunt, who's been nominated for Into the Woods. Um, I kind of keep seeing the trailer for and I really just do not have any interest in watching it. It's the new Disney musical. I mean, it just looks... Anyway, no, never mind. It's not like a, not like a but um, Amy Adams has been nominated for Big Eyes, um, which is another film I've heard is quite good uh, performances, but not, not actually Tim Burton's best film. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few... Names knocking around. Did you, any of you guys get a chance to look at the um, TV nominations? I'm just having a look at the, um, the nominees list now, and it's quite interesting that um, House of Cards pops up quite a few times in um, actor actress nominations as well as best series. And given that that's not even been on TV, it's interesting how the online entertainment world is sort of mixing into these mainstream awards now, and how that might have an effect in the future. It's quite interesting to see how that will perform. If it's not been on TV, how can it be nominated for best television? Precisely. <laughs> it's been it's there multiple mm. times. That's as orange as the new black as well. So, uh, you know, kudos to Netflix. That's two of their original series. And that's a very young network, for want of a better word. You know, in terms of them commissioning shows, they've not been doing that well for, for very long at all. And they've smashed out of the park, really. Anything from, from Amazon's own kind of in house series, they don't know. Vikings, unfortunately. Or didn't they try to make a Zombie Lab series as well, Alan? Oh, uh, yeah. But they've, they've got, um, what's the TV series with uh, the guy from um, Arrested Development in it that they made? Who's a uh, cross dressing, or was he trans- transsexual? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, no, but they made that, that's been 
quite well received. I'm struggling to try. Oh, no, I've seen, I've seen the advert for it. Um, with George, George Blue Senior in it. Uh, Just Barrett, that was it. Jeffrey Tambor. I think that's got a nomination. He has, yeah, he's been nominated for, for, for his role in that. So there's one Amazon instant thing there. Oh, I think Transparent's up for the best musical or comedy as well. And you're right there as well. See, this is how well prepared I am. This is how Monica ever. Things have changed slightly, but uh, you know, some things never change, do they? So I'll tell you what, what was um, surprising on the board as well about the nominations is the best miniseries. Uh, the missing the BBC drama got a nod. Mm. Um, it's good to see a, a BBC program kind of making waves on the Golden Globes. I think that's always good. I've heard I've heard good things about the missing. I've not seen it myself. I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, it was very good. Although I was very frustrated by the end. But don't let that put you off. <laughs> yeah. No, no place, no place for Z Nation in these uh, these lists. You seen that? Alan. I thought you might have been. Z Nation. Yeah. Something like that. No, the uh, it's, it seems to be the um, sci-fi channel's answer to The Walking Dead. <laughs> no, so, no I'm, I am interested. Yeah. So so bad. It's it's good. So bad. It's brilliant. That's good. I kind of like those sort of shows. Yeah, I, I think you'll be all over it. Yeah, me too. Um. Anyway, shall we move on to another piece of news where? Um, Spider-Man 3 is not very good, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really news, but it is nice for the people who made it to admit to how bad it is. Yeah, well, Sam Raimi's, um, apparently used the word awful when describing it on the podcast. Um, which, yeah, it's not bad considering he's now admitted what everyone's been telling him for about a decade. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really hated Spider-Man 3. And I was so looking forward to it. I just remember walking out of the cinema thinking that was unrelenting shit. It is terrible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, apparently a quote from him is, it's a movie that just didn't work very well. I tried to make it work, but I didn't really believe in all the characters, so that couldn't be hidden from people who love Spider-Man. If the director doesn't love something, it's wrong of them to make it when so many people, uh, so many other people love it. That's a quote of his. So if, if a few more directors were as honest as that, George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. You shit. <laughs> mm. but, um, yeah, I don't know. It is quite nice for him to make. I just wish he didn't make it in the first place. Mm. 
I think it could fall into Marvel's hands by him coming out and admitting that, and if it is as universally shit as he's making it out to be, that the popularity of the series will wane and they'll reach it back to Marvel for them to put into the whole Avengers <laughs> saga and whatnot. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things there. Firstly, I think um, what's his name, Andrew Garfield, said that he didn't love Amazing Spider-Man Two. He loves playing Spider-Man. He thought it was, you know, he has a great way of making the film, but the, he thought the film itself was. Uh, I can't remember his exact quote, and I don't want to talk. He's quoting, but it was something to do with the fact he thought it was put together quite badly. He didn't, he didn't like it. But you know, sometimes these actors they're, they're not allowed to say. They hated the film, or well, the directors, I don't say they hated the film. Well, certainly not prior. Totally to. Certainly not prior to the release, you're not going to go, well, the film well, just started and there's a load of rubbish, don't go and see it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the other thing. And the other thing, of course, is that um, the uh, supposed leaks from the North Korean hackers who said that Spider-Man might be planned to feature in an upcoming Marvel film. I think it was, wasn't it Captain America 3, the Civil War storyline film, of which in yeah. the comics apparently Spider-Man is a, is a major part. He's a, yeah, he's integral to the story. Uh, it basically becomes Spider-Man versus Spider-Man, which, you know, considering Marvel don't have the rights to Spider-Man, would be a bit bad. They just have to use someone else. But, yeah, so, you know, it could happen, I suppose. And there's always talk of, Loaning Spider-Man from studio to studio. It makes it, it makes sense if they can do that financially for Sony who are on their ass. Yeah, basically that's the, the crux of it is that they are on their ass. See, so perfectly described, and it makes sense for them to rather than waste money on a Amazing Spider-Man three film or plot, just give it to Marvel instead. That's one of those things that people will always go and see. Do you think so? Yeah. Why people go and watch Transformers, don't they? They're absolutely shit. Yeah. I don't want them to be good. No. So it's going to be Yeah. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, Spider-Man's... Well, I suppose you're right. It's one of those characters that... I, I hate to bring it to you, but the, the highest grossing UK box office film last year was Transformers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyway, shall, shall we move on from this, have a quick break, and then get on to the, the raft of new releases we've got to wade through. Our first new release, then, for the first uh, podcast of 2015 is The Theory of Everything, starring Eddie Redmayne as uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, Owen and Jerry, you've both seen this, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what do you both think of it? Um. Oh, and you go first, cause I can. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Yeah, I, um, expected it to be a bit, uh, Oscar baiting, if you know, for one of a better phrase. I thought it would be a bit sappy, um, really, I was quite cynical about the reasons for making it. Um, you, you know what? I have. Part of me also thinks, well, Stephen Hawking is such a brilliant man that it's kind of right that there is a biography, or a biography, uh, of his life and his achievements, because he's a remarkable player. And actually, it's decent. <coughs> I thought it was, I thought it was, it was okay. 
Um, mainly because that Stephen Hawking's just a, you know, the life he's led and he's a humorous chap in real life anyway, and they've managed to capture that on screen. I thought Eddie Redmayne was as good, as good as he can be without going from retard. It's, it's different in a way to the imitation game then as although Turing was, was a genius and everything like that you didn't people don't tend to know too much about him um, whereas Stephen Hawking is, is quite firmly in the public eye quite often yeah well, particularly for Turing because of that period I mean there's a lot written about him and he has been studied quite extensively but, mm, but he's not but he's not period, in terms of mainstream public Turing yeah, isn't as well maybe. known as Hawking. Well, yes, only not as much as, as Stephen Hawking. Um, but like I say, I think he's a, he's a remarkable chap. He's had a remarkable life. The film itself, I thought, captures some of the more interesting aspects of his personal life. Because he could quite so easily have been a dry, boring look at his time at university before he collapsed. And that's not really the most interesting thing about him. Uh, that said, though, I did think it was kind of, it felt a bit watered down, felt a bit bossy. Part of that is because, for some reason, it's just overexposed glowy lights on everything. <laughs> or, yeah. particularly early on, when the way star crossed the woods. Oh, God. It's just like, just, just, you don't need that much light on your camera. I want to be able to see skin tone for a change. Yeah, that'd be nice. But it, it is very much, I thought it was a bit by the numbers. It's okay. It's not exceptional. I'm incredibly surprised to see it nominated for a Golden Globe. I'm incredibly surprised that the film with them, and although I think Redmayne will be up there, as he is probably putting I thought it was good without him being exceptional. You know what I mean? Yes. Without wanting to, I hate to do this, but throughout, I was, couldn't help thinking a similar kind of film that's been around for a long time, beautiful mind. Couldn't help comparing it, and it doesn't come out favourably in any comparison with *The Beautiful Mind*. It's a good film, but it's you know it's a Ron Howard Hollywood film. It's very Hollywood, and I thought this was very Hollywood as well. It's not. Well, it didn't do it for me. No, I think that's the main problem. Like I say, I thought it was an okay film, but it is exactly as you described by the numbers. I mean, there's, it doesn't miss a beat, does it? It just goes for everything. Um, yeah, you've got the romance, then there's the, uh, well, you know, is his wife cheating on him, isn't she cheating on him, oh, he's got this terrible tragedy, and, it, yeah, I don't know, it, it was very ordinary, 
but kind of liked it. I did kind of like it. I didn't really care too much for, for his wife either. I know everyone's going mad about her performance, but... Oh, uh, yeah, but it's James. She just couldn't connect with, with her either. Connect with her slightly more than Stephen Hawking. Just something about the story was just a little bit... Yeah, you know, it was nice. It was a Hollywood on-screen thing, but I never really got involved. No, that's, I think that's a fair comment. Um, she basically is his help um, with occasional romantic bits at the start. And, you know, that's all, all she seems to be. They could do, they, they do try to develop the character, I guess. Um, well, yeah. I mean, going to marriage at the birth of two children via montage is the <laughs> most in-depth exploration of a romance, is it? Like, this is the thing, it's, 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 it's just the romance behind Stephen Hawking's science. It's like, alright, so when he got married, both of his children coming about, that, that just happens through montages early on. Which is a bit, I don't know, if you're really going to look at the day-to-day struggle of their married life and how they did it, it just didn't know what he gets, like, you know, in a party and stuff. It didn't even go into the degree enough early on for me to care later on when trying to go a bit more in-depth, if that makes sense. No, it does, definitely. Um, I don't think the supporting cast was particularly noteworthy either, by the way. You know, mentioning from Mr. Jones, but, um, well, uh, Simon McBurney, his, uh, his father, didn't really like his performance, I would say. I didn't think yeah. he was particularly, not that he wasn't particularly good, I thought he was a bit annoying. Um, I don't know whether his character was meant to be annoying or whether it was just his performance, but he, there was something about his um, mannerisms, like you, you kind of, at one point it suggested that he's not really accepted what's happened. Because there's a point where um, Stephen Hawking and and his wife Jane go to visit Stephen's parents and they've not even bothered installing like a ramp up the stairs. They still have to try and carry him up up this this huge amount of stairs uh, or steps. And it's just, it's one of those things like like you said, Jerry, that they just gloss over. There could have been more to it. But even the performance of the character, I didn't really, the only reason I got the idea that Okay, this is meant to be him not accepting what's happened. It was through Felicity, uh, Jones's his character. Not through him. I just, he was like a prop, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe I'm a bit lost on it. <laughs> Overall, it's, it's probably worth watching, but don't go out of your way, there's better stuff in the cinema at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, up next then is Birdman. Um, Owen, you've seen this, haven't you? I have seen this, yeah. I watched it, um, last week. Uh, and I've been struggling to think about how to review it ever since, actually. It's receiving um, a lot of, of positive reviews and, and possible, uh, or a bit of ostracism, I believe, as well. Is that justified in your mind? Com- completely, yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I, I loved it. Um, as I said a, a bit earlier in the podcast, um, I mean, I'll very quickly try and explain it to start with. Um, it's directed by... I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. It is now. It is now. Yeah, it just has to accept that. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, but he's a Mexican director, probably 
um, at a push, best known for his film, uh, the brilliant Amaris Peros. Although, all of his films, I think, are highly, highly regarded. Uh, Beautiful with Amir Bardem and 21 Grams of Babel. They do all very well received. However, I've only seen Amaris Peros the most, and Birdman is, I think, his first attempt at a, uh, uh, a comedy? I'm confident to describe it as a comedy though, because it's, it's not a traditional comedy film, it's just a bit odd. It's very peculiar. Um, yeah. I mean, so, well, the title probably suggests it's not actually a superhero film, it's not actually about a superhero called Birdman. Um, it's about an aging actor, played by Michael Keaton, who used to be in a trilogy of blockbuster superhero films 20 years ago, playing the character Birdman. Um, you know, kind of mimicking his, his career with, with Batman. Um, however, he's now older, he constantly hears the sarcastic voice of Birdman in his head, um, with whatever thing he tries to do, nagging at him, um, criticising him. Uh, but he's trying to kind of have a go at making something of his career now by putting on a show on Broadway, and he's attempting to adapt the Raymond Palmer story, what we talk about when we talk about love. Uh, and he's the writer, he's the director, and stars just in the leading role in this production. So it seems kind of boring when I say it like that, but the genius in the film is more about the way that it's made. So it's almost, it's all, almost two hours long, to say. Um, but the plot takes place over the course of three days. However, it's more film as if the whole movie is just one a single shot. Uh, so, you know, like, well, Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock's film broke. It all seems like it's just one shot. However, it only spans three days. So, it's two hours long, it spans three days, but it's all like one single shot. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird, like I say. So, um, it starts at the beginning with him recasting one of the characters in his play at the last minute. And he ends up getting in, uh, Ed Norton's character, who's a smug, self-aggrandizing, full of himself, authentic New York actor, you know. Uh, and then he goes from that to the disastrous preview show, um, all the way through to the morning after of the opening night of his play. And, uh, obviously, it's absolutely fucking brilliant. I love it. I love the soundtrack, which is mainly just one bloke banging on a drum set. Kind of jazz percussion sort of way, and then he occasionally actually pops up and film himself playing the drums. I love the acting in it, I can't really decide who was better between Keaton and Norton. Um, I think this tops any performance of theirs in the past, and yeah, even better than he was in American History X, by the way. Um, Norton, yeah, but Keaton's just sensational, he absolutely is sensational. He's extremely funny, uh, he's manic. I mean, you can see he's completely absorbed in his role, and it's just it's a joy to watch actors be that good. And, uh, actually, I can tell you what, it's like watching the guy who played Beetlejuice now fulfilling his potential as an actor, you know, in his sort of comedic, weird sort of films, rather than the guy who was wasting away his potential in, in shit like white noise, you know? It's that kind of, that, that's how it feels. Um, but the, the support cast in this are all fantastic. Naomi Watts is in it, uh, Emma Stone, um, Andrea Riceborough, uh, Zach Gallagher, Nate, 
He's not in this one, though. Um, it's a prequel. Um, you don't have to have seen um, the, the first one to kind of understand this. Um, it starts in World War Two with some children being evacuated from London, where it's being bombed, um, to a remote country house on an island somewhere in the countryside. Um, which is obviously haunted um, by the woman in black. Um, it is, like many horror films now, um, filled with plenty of jumps and bangs and things popping out of nowhere to make you jump, but doesn't leave you kind of creeped out. Um, you know, I think as James said many times before, you know, horror films, he likes them to make him run up the stairs a bit quicker at night. This one isn't going to do that. Like like many horror films, it's not going to make you stay awake. It's not going to keep you awake. You're going to kind of forget about it almost as, as, as soon as you walk out of the cinema. But in terms of making you jump, it's gonna, it does that plenty. It does it well. But it's, it just doesn't have a lasting effect. There are a couple of creepy moments, or unnerving moments, but children trying to commit suicide and things, which is generally quite creepy. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, another modern horror film that kind of plods along, does its job, but doesn't do it well. It, does, it, does it okay? Um, the performance is... Exciting, but ultimately aren't very scary. 
Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it. My girlfriend was sat next to me and crushed my hand, I think, uh, for the duration of the film. Yes. Um, I wish it was something else, but it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, yes, no, it's, yeah, still hurts a bit now, but yeah, I can remember that more. I can remember what happened in the film. The performances were okay from, from the, from the lead actors. The main child actor was a bit, well, was a bit nothing really, but, um, children, it's easy to do. Um, yeah, it was all, it was all just okay. Yeah, by tomorrow I'm gonna more or less completely have forgotten about it. I have. That's how I felt about the first one, to be honest. The, uh, the, the other one, the, the Hammer Horror one, from 2012. I just felt like, it was completely forgettable. I wasn't really keen to see this one either. I mean, although I did kind of enjoy the quiet ones last year, which was also Hammer Horror, but, yeah, no, no reason as far as I can see other than the fact that they think they'll get a, money, a bit of money out of it by producing this prequel. I mean, what's there to tell, really? Isn't she explained in the original Woman in Black? I, I don't know, so I've, not, I've not seen it, but I mean, in this one, yeah, they do get a brief bit of backstory on the Woman in Black and why she's supporting people, but not, not a great deal. There's no, as far as I can see, other than the Woman in Black herself is a, is a, a character or an entity, there's no link between the two things. Uh, and the location as well, there's no kind of link, no characters or anything that links the two things together. Um, but the, the other one as well was an adaptation of a stage play, wasn't it? Yeah, because so it's which is meant to be extremely popular and, yeah. Yeah, so I've heard, yeah. Um, but, you know, that has a, a thing that it's adapted. You know, if you think of the old Hammer Horror films, Dracula and Frankenstein and all that, they were adapted something else, so I don't really get where this comes from. No. I just, yeah, no yeah. interest in seeing that. And it's a shame because I do want the Hammer Horror's revival to go well. Yeah. I do want them to continue to make or produce good films, so, yeah, that's no, a shame. Okay, and the final film for us to review then uh, for this week was seen by Matt and that is Exodus starring uh, Christian Bell as Moses. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of an interesting one this and I'll be interested to get everyone's take on this as well because I know you've seen it but um, it was um, thought provoking enough to get me to write about it as soon as I got home from the cinema so it's certainly not all bad but certainly plenty to critique about it at the same time. Uh, so as you touched on, the Christian Bale plays uh, Moses and he's uh, joined by Joel Edgerton who plays um, Ramses, the ruler of, subsequent ruler of Egypt after the beginning of the movie. Um, and the, the two of them have a, a very interesting um, chemistry between them or, or let's say dynamic which is very similar to that of Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator, whereby there's a, there's a little bit of an inadvertent power struggle between them. And it does follow a very similar formula to Gladiator as it progresses out of the movie, whereby you have uh, the reluctant favoured uh, son uh, in the form of Moses, but from the existing ruler, and then the, the would-be successor, who is definitely less accomplished as a, as a ruler, who actually is the one who comes to power and banishes Moses from Egypt. 
Um, and so, as you probably figured out, it follows the, um, the book of Exodus the story with the rise of Moses, the leader of the Hebrews, and leads them out of uh, Egyptian slavery. And whilst it's, um, it's very big and epic in size and grandeur, it doesn't really deliver on excitement so much, whereas Gladiator, for instance, with the by the same director, Ridley Scott, of course, is quite well paced with several key uh, fight sequences throughout the movie, which leaves the viewer excited and, and looking forward to what's coming next. Exodus doesn't really have that. It's, it's main battle sequences over quite early in the movie, and then it relies on being entirely plot-driven thereafter, which is difficult because you pretty much know what's going to happen if you have any familiarity with the final story. Yeah. Um, so how it's expected to really hold the audience's attention and the excitement level to be high throughout is it, extremely difficult. Um, I found it interesting because it's a period of history that, that I enjoy reading about, uh, although not necessarily for its uh, religious context. Um, so I probably enjoyed it more than the average viewers game not like it. Um, I can see a casual viewership being quite bored by the midway point of the film, to be honest, due to the lack of um, action in the movie, which all the pre-release uh, marketing seemed to indicate there would be some huge epic battles in there, and there just isn't enough of that, I don't think, to keep it tasty for most people. Um, on the plus side, um, the costume and makeup and set design of the movie is phenomenal. Everything looks extremely beautiful, the outfits are amazing, uh, they do an excellent job of replicating the history that is the subject matter for the film, so no complaints there whatsoever. And if the film has any hope whatsoever of picking up any accolades during uh, award season, that's going to be the area in which it's going to have a chance to do so. It certainly isn't going to be anything in terms of movie quality or performances from its main actors. Um, the other thing that really peeved me off about this, which I mentioned in my article, filmcritics.com, is some really pointless casting in the movie, which really I couldn't get my head around. Um, Christian Bale and George are fair enough in two main roles, but then you have a lot of decent heavyweight performers in very trivial roles. They're so um, intent on making people look so Egyptian, if you can't even tell who they are. Um, for instance, there's John Turturro, who's the, the existing pharaoh at the time, who I didn't recognise, Sigourney Weaver, I didn't recognise. And, you know, to a degree, this is down to my own ignorance, perhaps, but. If, if I'm any kind of barometer for, for the audience again, that, it's like, why are they wasting billions on hiring these people for control there? They could be done by literally anybody. And it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever to the quality of the movie. So, so did, they, did they actually have any Egyptians in the film, or were they all Western? Well, this is the thing, uh, Joey, there's a lot of um, Caucasian Western actors in all the main roles. You have Ben Kingsley, who plays one of the Hebrew elders in there, so that's kind of baffling. And then, when it came to Egyptians, I don't think there was any um, North African actors in there whatsoever, but they did have a couple of um, actors and actresses who were from uh, Arabic. Um, yeah, just so uh, it, 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 yeah, heritage. That's the little thing. Oh, sorry. 
So it's, it's, it's weird how they went for access to that heritage for those two-year-olds, but then one else, they just sold them out to the widest of white Western actors they could, they could find. It was really bizarre. And that was a, a point of contention for me. And it, the, the story itself really does lean very heavily towards uh, the Zionist stance of the story. So I could see anyone who is of Islamic faith or, or of Arabic heritage to really not get on with this movie whatsoever because it essentially paints everything that was good about ancient Egypt as being on the sweaty backs and hard work of um, Hebrew slaves, which may or may not be true to a certain extent. Obviously, they were um, treated very badly. But um, I think the, the ancient Egyptian empire was responsible for a lot more good in the world than, than probably bad. But it certainly doesn't highlight the regime in that way whatsoever. Um, what did you think of it, Aaron? Um, I thought that... Can I, can I just be honest as well? Just for something. I fell asleep in the cinema. For what I thought was wow. just about five minutes, that's the first time I've ever fallen asleep in the cinema. Um, first film that's ever made me doze off. And I thought I'd fallen asleep for five minutes. And then when I was reading the review, the review today, um, I thought, I don't remember that happening. So I must have gone for about 20 minutes just to pull on Kim during this film. Um, it was boring as hell. That's what I thought of it. It was really dull. Really incredibly dull. The, the first, I don't know how long it was, probably 20, 25 minutes. It was okay. It's just not, it suffers the same problem. The, I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit that the sets are brilliant. The, 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 the costume design's fantastic. Um, I thought the acting was pretty good, although it is a bit weird how you've got people like um, Ben Mendelssohn and Aaron Paul and Ben Kingsley putting on these, these strange accents and they're a little bit tan. That's basically makes them, that basically makes them Egyptian, apparently. But, you know, uh, uh, so it was okay to start with. It was fairly interesting. You mentioned John Edgerton as well, uh, as Ramses, who it was much better than I thought he would be. And I thought him and Christian Bale worked quite well opposite each other too. But there's the moment, I mean, it's all thanks to this, everyone knows the story of Moses, so I'm not spoiling it. The moment he is booted out, the moment he's exiled, Moses is exiled, um, I thought the film really went downhill. And then everything involving him turning into Rambo in the desert to um, meeting his, his future wife and then the time jump and the mountain stuff, I just found it really tedious. Even when the, the plague stuff was happening, this, this is the bit that is supposed to be interesting. This is supposed to be the exciting, entertaining, tense uh, moment. And it was kind of just nothing. Uh, I was a couple of bits during the plague scenes where I let out an audible gasp and so I thought they were quite impressive. Um, uh, only because I thought there was something bigger coming towards the end, the big climactic events. Mm. And what you're given right at the end simply wasn't good enough. It didn't live up to the massive amount of waiting around you have to do it and, like say, go through the, these um, isolation constantly and just not enough is happening in the movie and I think as a highlight they do a good job of profiling the sort of uh, maniacalism of Ramses as he becomes more and more power driven 
um, as he remains in control, but, uh, and how it, his ignorance in regards to the warnings he's getting from the plagues, and he just uses to ignore them. But even even his turn from being, you know, okay, he's got slaves and he's not a very nice person, really. He goes from being, well, he's just a spoiled prince to becoming, a, you know, paranoid ruler quite aggressive at the end, it turns out. It just sort of switched and it happens, and that's it. Yeah, well, there's a massive contradiction in the movie, though, when, uh, again, not to, to over-spoil to people who haven't seen it yet, but, but right at the beginning of the movie, there's a scene whereby Ramses is nearly killed in the opening battle, and there's a uh, a legacy given by some sorceress at the beginning that says, um, the future ruler will, will save the existing ruler in the next coming battle. And Ramses is very paranoid about that particular prophecy. Whereas later in the movie, once he's king, and he's been given all these warnings by um, the, the number of plagues that hit him, he chooses to completely ignore them. It, well, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, most of the film doesn't. I mean, I don't know whether you felt the same thing, but or if anyone actually, if any of you you guys watched Noah last year, um, the Aronofsky film, I thought both of them have something that feels slightly apologetic about its religious aspect, because it's not ever fully committed to being biblical epic. It's always to be a historical epic with some, you know, Christian or, as in this case it's here, sort of Hebrew, uh, Jewish overtones to it, you know. There's not any point in the film where there's, only, there's a lot of talk about faith, a lot of talk about um, God in particular, and obviously with Moses and his relationship to it. But at the same time, it could just be there are, there are a lot of people who are fully um, they, they believe in, in, in God, and you've also then got Moses who goes from being probably atheist almost, on the verge of being atheist, to fully believing in God when he has a book on the noggin, and that's what sends him that way. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it could be explained away as a lot of coincidence. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah. It's not a, a, an overwhelmingly holy presence about the movie, which, if that's what it was trying to get out, it didn't. Okay, uh, a couple more films to review quickly then before we finish up. Uh, Jerry has seen Enemy, which has been out for a while in some places, but uh, Jerry got have seen it this week. Yeah, well, I did actually see it last year in preview in the UK and Ireland are actually literally the last places in the world to get this film released. It's bizarre why it's been released. I don't know. I can only assume it was some kind of distribution problem. The main thing you need to realise is that while it's taken a long, long time, and it's probably freely available on the internet as well by now, um, it's also being streamed by the studio uh, at the same time as it's being released in a general kind of cinema release, which is, we've talked about this before, it's happened a few times, hasn't it, where a film gets a, like a, a simultaneous home and cinema release. Now, I find it very interesting that that's happening. It's a very big challenge to the model. Whether you want to go out and watch it or watch it at home, fucking watch it. 
apologies if this is meant to be a PG podcast, but the more I think about this film, and, and I watched it kind of the last, uh, I don't know, May maybe, the more I just, I need to watch it again. It's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, you can't talk about it too much because you don't want to give it away. But basically, Jake Gyllenhaal plays both of the main characters. Um, where he essentially finds someone who looks exactly like him and starts to explore it. There's loads of different interpretations as to what their relationship between the two of them is, about reality. It's just, it's really, it's, it's, it's similar to nothing I've ever seen, but also similar to everything you've seen in the kind of thriller, psychological, horror genre. And I just, I just wish someone else had seen it so we could try and figure out what the hell happens in it. Um, it's kind of like an art house, David Lynch, Paul Thomas Anderson, Christopher Nolan film. Does that make sense? I don't know how that makes sense. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, it's out, I doubt it's getting featured. I think it's circulation. I've seen it actually popping up on my uh, social media feeds, like on Facebook. I've had a couple of adverts through uh, on my Facebook just to say that it is streaming at home as well. It's absolutely worth seeing. I'm probably going to watch it again just because I need to watch it so I can time to get my head around it. Um, it's, it's just mad. It's crazy. The ending, you'll just sit there in silence for about five minutes at the end trying to figure out what the fuck you just watched. Okay, and Owen, uh, you have seen Unbroken, uh, starring Jack O'Connell and uh, directed by Andrew Jolie. Um, tell us about yeah. that one quickly. It's, yeah, I'll just do it quickly because, um, well, we're running out of time for one. But yeah, it's Angelina Jolie's um, directorial debut, I think. Um, it's written as well by the Coen's Coen brothers, Joel and Ethan, wrote it the script or the screenplay. Um, but it's a bit of a true story um, of uh, Louis Zamperini, who was uh, an Olympic athlete. He, was, he went to the German Olympics in the 30s and um, ended up uh, as a bombardier during the World War, uh, the Second World War. And he's involved in a plane crash, uh, they landed the sea, then you spend about half an hour of the film with him in a raft. Very good uh, alongside Jack O'Connor, who himself was, was brilliant. But Donald Gleeson, who um, seems to be in quite a lot of things actually, he's, he's, he seems to be popping up all over the place. Um, but he, he was also uh, in it very good. But yeah, no, it's just all about Jack O'Connor, really. It's uh, Louis Zamperini, he's brilliant. Um, but after, the, after they've drifted about on the sea for a while, they end up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. So, when I was watching it, I just thought, well, this is just like a million and one other Japanese prisoner of war films. Because the first half of the film is it's just like a survival film with clips going back to his history, his, his childhood and his sort of um, family and things like that. And then the second half of the film is all set in this Japanese and the pace of the film is, is suddenly just goes very slow. It's very, very slow. Um, 
a bit of a mixed bag overall. It was also one of the things that, that I noticed whilst watching it, it seemed very precise. You know, everything that Angelina and Joey was doing seemed to a very keen and very specific rulebook. You know, the way it was shot, the angles even that were used to use certain scenes just seemed very, I mean, it seemed technically good. It just wasn't, it didn't seem very inspirational. Uh, but it, yeah, basically saved by having terrific performances and quite a touching story, all told. Uh, drags a bit, just definitely drag a bit through the prisoner walk up. Some of it, I'd say, a bit obvious, but it is a true story, so I suppose I just try to tell what happens to it. And Captain Law really is brilliant. I really liked him in 71 last year and Stardom. And I know you, you watched them both as well, Steve, and you, and you saw, or you watched 71, I think. And, yeah. And also, he's brilliant in that, isn't he? He's very good. He is, yeah, very good. Um, um, well, in this, he's playing an American, so he's got an American accent, uh, or an Italian American. And, um, doesn't matter, this, this is probably his best performance. It's in a very, I mean, you just know exactly what kind of film it's going to be like, and it's that, exactly that sort of film. Well, he is very good in it. He's undeniably good. I preferred him in this to Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. Okay. Uh, so that's all for our new release. I think it's enough there to keep you going, uh, get you into the cinema to see one or two of them. Before we go quickly, we're just going to, uh, run through our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for, uh, Saturday nights, ITV, 20 past 9, and Skyfall. Uh, Owen? I'm going something, uh, what, call some, let me start again, shall I? I'm going for something called Drug War, which is on, uh, Film 4 on Friday, 10 past 11. Um, Chinese film by Johnny Toe, who's quite a prolific, uh, Cantonese film director. Kind of a bit like Infernal Affairs, so, you know, that sort of cops versus gangs, something. It's about 100 minutes, no holes barred, very good film. Okay, Jerry? Can I go with a Netflix recommendation? You can indeed. Uh, I watched, uh, last weekend, I watched Lock, which has just been added to UK Netflix. It's literally an hour and a half of Tom Hardy in a BMW making calls on his hands free. And it's actually really good despite sounding mental. If he's in a BMW, he's probably tailgating someone like a <laughs> The one issue I had with it is he kept showing the speeder where he's like supposed to be doing 80, and from the view outside he's doing 55, 60. Is that annoying prick? He's not going fast enough on the motorway, if anything. <laughs> anyway, um, Matt, what were you recommending? recommending? Give something a little bit older. Um, one of my favourite sort of dark comic book hero movies, The Crow, is on um, Sky Movies and uh, Sci Fi and Horror on Thursday night at 9pm. If you can't catch that one, it's on. Monday at 10.25 on Sky Superhero. Okay. Um, very, 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 very quickly before we go, for those of you who saw the theory of everything, did anyone spot a cameo in there from someone you might not expect to see in a film? Stanley? No. <laughs> I, I watched Big Hero 6, by the way. I'm not going to talk about it because it's not for a while yet. There's a very, just because you mentioned cameos, Stanley's cameo in that is very well hidden. I quite like that one. But anyway, no, I didn't spot a cameo in the series. No. no. It, it, I said a footballer. Um, 
doing a bit of acting. Does that help? Not James Bond. No. <laughs> was it Vinnie Jones? No, it was, it was Frank LaBeouf. What? Frank LaBeouf played a doctor in The Theory of Everything. I'm going to have to get out because I don't remember that. I'm not having you on. Frank LaBeouf. Um, yes! Yeah, he did! Oh my god, I just realised who you asked. <laughs> Which which doctor? The French one. Obviously the French one, Jerry. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Shit! I did not recognise it was the doctor at all. I suppose I just was not expecting him to be in it. Wow. Yeah. There you go. We should have got that. Yeah, so, Jerry, yeah, is that blowing your mind more or less than Big Mo and EastEnders being, uh, <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Every day I wake up and question my, my existential crisis. <laughs> Big moment. Carry on with my relations. Anyway, that's, that's all for this week's, this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another one and some Golden Globe results to go through. Uh, thanks to everyone who's listened and the website is www.cricket.com. Why don't you go over there and read one of the many articles that have been going up in the last week or so. Uh, thanks as well to Matt and Joe for joining us this week and hopefully they'll be back on soon. Imagine Mine and Owen's festive period as the bit in Ocean's Eleven where they go and put the gang together. Yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know we've kept Matt. He's yeah. going to fake a Cockney accent for the rest of the film. I'm not cheating on That's That's pretty hard for a normal but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. Under the Skin watched me, or I watched Under the Skin. Very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether, whether I liked it or not. It was, some parts I thought it was quite interesting, and then others I thought it's just a bit arsy-farty and pretentious for the sake of it. Um, and yeah. yeah I, I think that's fair. Some of it does seem a bit, um, I don't know what the word is, kind of, Some of my top ten of, of last year had I watched. No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. No, um, no, but yeah, okay. yeah. I don't think I don't think I done myself any harm or waste any time by watching it. What you're saying is that because it's similar in terms of it being a bit surreal and a bit weird, uh, you preferred it to Holy Motors. I I prefer sitting in a dark room in my own for two hours to Holy Motors. <laughs> That was just that was just pretentious wank from start to finish. Yeah. How did it compare to the room? Which is another the last one we have to watch, I think. Oh, holy Moses is better than the room, so this was infinitely <laughs> better. Yeah. Carol's okay. par- parting shot at us was the make watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what, what's at stake with the new boys anyway? What's at stake? Okay, if you two or whoever we've got on the podcast so you might appear on another podcast where it's you, you you're gonna be the decider. Whoever the guests are, um, if they win three quizzes in total, then basically that means I win and I get to choose the film Steve has to watch. Um, and I promise I won't make you watch under the skin again or Harry Rose again. But then say Steve beats the guests, he chooses the film I watch and then we reverse roles. So then it becomes me versus the guests and Steve hosts for us. I mean, the guests are welcome 
watch any film like Leading My Life, but um, this is almost like a punishment quiz. It's a, it's a booby prize, isn't it? You lose, you've got to watch something that will either challenge or mainly upset you. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 only time, the only time I won the quiz, I recommended a good film. <laughs> yes. No, you didn't. No, you made us... What did you make us watch? It was that fucking pirate thing. No, it wasn't a pirate. It was, oh no, cut for oh yeah, one once and cut for I one won the other time, and it was I can't remember the name. It was about the guy who'd lived for like five thousand oh, yeah. years. Yeah, less no, a man who fell from Earth or something. Something like, like that. that. Yeah, it was good though. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was alright. The thing under the skin, I thought was quite good. I thought yeah. we might enjoy some parts of that. Anyway, shall we quiz? We shall quiz. We, we shall start with a new a new quiz. So. Yeah, as we've explained, I'm hosting Steve's versus, uh, Steve versus Gary and Matt. So the quiz format is still the same. I'm just going to read out a list of films and you have to guess the actor or actress, um, who I'm referring to. Same as it's always been, really. So, with that in mind, first film I'm picking is The Battle of the Sexes from 1959. Yeah. So shocked to know what he's calling out to tell you who's off that one. <laughs> yes, but it might give you a sort of idea of the era. Okay, next film I'm going to talk about here or choose is The Wrong Arm of the Law from 1963. The Wrong Arm or the Wrong Arm? The Wrong Arm of the Law. Wrong, because it's the opposite of right. Not that, that makes sense, because it's really not the answer there, anyway. No? Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you guys think of the 
nominations. Should I just run through some of the um, standout nominations for films? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, okay, well, drama. Five films nominated for Best Drama. Boyhood, Boxcatcher, Imitation Game, Selma, and The Theory of Everything. Um, so obviously Foxcatcher's not out in the UK yet. Um, but, you know, The Theory of Everything I think we'll talk about later on as well. Boyhood was very popular last year. Um, Imitation Game was alright. Anyone seen any of these films? Uh, seen the theory of everything. Oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> seen, yeah. seen the imitation game. Uh, it surprises me that's been nominated. The, the more I see other films um, that's going to be up for nomination, the more it surprises me it's up for nomination. Not that it's a bad film, it's not by any way, shape or form, but it just seems to me that there's better films. Yeah. Well, I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch as well has been nominated um, for Best Actor for his role in that as Alan Turing. As, as well as Steve Carell from Foxcatcher as well. You know, um, I thought he was very good in it, but he took a while to warm to the role for me. I mean, I don't know, don't know how you felt about it, actually, Steve. I, I think it's a fair nomination for Best Actor. I just wouldn't necessarily put it as in the Best Film category. Yeah. Well, the, another person who's been nominated for Best Actor, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, the Nightcrawler, is uh, Lou Blue. Um, Matt, I know you love the Nightcrawler as much as the rest of us. I mean, that seems like a fair nomination to me, more so than Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I think um, he's more than deserving of his nomination there. I just can't help but feel that this is going to be one of those ones where he's unfairly overlooked due to the, the subject matter of the movie, if you like. It's not really uh, award season material, is it? That um, cause. So it's going to be one of those ones, I think, where it gets a tremendous amount of nominations, but also it's going to fall short for some of the more fanciable uh, items that are up for nomination, which is a shame, really, because that should be one of his more career-defining moments, um, and definitely deserves support for it. Yeah. Well, you, I know you were a fan of Gyllenhaal's Jerry, because I can remember talking um, about End of Watch on one of the podcasts you were on, and he was great. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's terrific. I, think, uh, I kind of uh, touched on this in my review on, of Enemy as well uh, on the site, we'll probably talk about it later, but I genuinely think he's one of the top actors around, so I mean, I haven't seen Nightcrawler yet, um, very annoyingly, my uh, my other half watched it without me. Oh no, yeah. Having heard you all raving about it last week, I, I want to watch it even more now, he's brilliant, he's absolutely fantastic, he's brilliant in Enemy as well, and with the release dates in the US, I think it's kind of fallen between the two award seasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. His Enemy came out in March last year. And he's absolutely brilliant in Enemy. And I don't know why he's never got any kind of major award nods for it. It's, it's a shame. But I'm, I'm glad he's nominated for something. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how well Enemy did on, like, festivals. Because it didn't really seem to get much screen, you know, many screenings anywhere. But, um, yeah, yeah in the UK. It's an odd one. I mean, it was, it's kind of, I think as well, because it was partially funded by Canada, partially funded by Spain. It's never going to be like a, a mainstream Hollywood film suffers from that. But then again, I didn't risk it's not that much breast popularity, but yeah, that seems to be fair to as well. Yeah, he really was brilliant in that as well, actually. Um, anyway, so the um, actresses who've been nominated, 
Um, Jennifer Aniston is nominated for Sir Cole Cake, which I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, some of these ones, we watched inside them. <laughs> this, is, this is drama. This is motion picture drama. They have a separate category for musical comedy. So, you know, a serious role for Jennifer Aniston sounds a bit odd to me, but, you know, I've not heard of it. I've not seen it yet either. But uh, it was quite nice, isn't it, when you see that, you know, Steve Carell's been nominated in the yeah. category for drama and, and she's been nominated as actress. Definitely. Reese Witherspoon in there as well. It's good that there's kind of a few A-lister comedy actors and actresses who seem to be doing well at doing the other side of it, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, but I know Benedict Cumberbatch is very, um, you know, he's, a, he's mainly a serious actor, but he used to have a role well, in comedies. You know, he used to do radio comedies and... Um, a couple of TV things, and a couple of TV appearances and comedy shows. They've all sort of started out around that uh, scene, I think. But yeah, no, you're definitely right. Uh, amongst people like Rosamund Pike and Julianne Moore, you know, to see Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon there is it's, it's quite good. Um, but the best musical or comedy nominations, Birdman, Grand Budapest Hotel, Into the Woods, um, Pride and St. Vincent. Um, I mean, well, I'm going to talk about Birdman later, and so spoiler alert, I, I loved it, I thought it was pretty good, but um, the other four films, Grand Budapest Hotel, Into the Woods, Pride, St. Vincent, I mean, what, what did you guys make of those? I'm, I'm really pleased to see Pride in there. Mm. Have any of you seen it? No, no I have been aware of the controversy recently, they're removing anything that relates to homosexuality on the DPD cover in America. Have they? They've purposefully removed that or made it not seem like it's got any. Uh, Despite it being a film that's 100% about homosexuality. It is, yes. It's a very gay film and they've tried to make it ungay. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. It's weird, isn't it? It is so odd. But there you go. But yeah, um, another one that seemed to be uh, adored by everyone who saw it. It's a great little film, actually. Really good. It's a, it's a very British film without wanting to sound patronising. Like it's got that nice, you know, British feel-good film vibe. It's very much in the strain of like Blast Off and The Full Monty and that kind of uh, way of making films. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, well, what about sort of Grand Budapest Hotel? Do any of you guys like that? No, it's actually premiering this week. I think on Sky, so I might actually get around to watching that. So uh, that's one for the viewers at home again to see it, to get some Oscar bait. It's a weird film. I don't, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't call it award bait because it's just very West Anderson. James, James loved it, didn't he? He did, yeah. And, you know, it is quite a funny film. I didn't love it, love it, but it's definitely a likeable film. And St. Vincent is the other one with, um, that seemed to be, actually, this was probably the most mixed of the, the, the ones nominated there. Because I've heard people say, yeah, Bill Murray's brilliant in it, but the film's not great. But then I've heard other people say it's brilliant, but Bill Murray's just Bill Murray. So, I don't know. Any of you guys see it? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm probably in the sort of the latter category. Okay. I wasn't expecting anything from it. I didn't really know anything about it either. I thought, it, I just saw a bit of a 30 second trailer after I think, yeah, I thought, oh, that'll be moderately funny. It's got Bill Murray in it. That, that one out of Bridesmaids is alright. Um, was not expecting it to be as serious as it was, but it was a very surprising.
surprisingly good film, but then I went into it with no expectations at all. I think you always enjoy a film more when you have no expectations and it surprises you rather than maybe expecting it to be good and it just being good rather than amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. That's, uh, yeah, definitely. So, the best uh, performances, just very quickly to, to, to mention a few from uh, comedy and musicals. Uh, Ray Fiennes for Rapid Pest Hotel. Bill Murray for St. Vincent have got nominations. Joaquin Phoenix for Inherent Voice as well. Which I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so, I so really hope that's going to be good. But um, As well as that, you've got sort of Emily Blunt who's been nominated for Into the Woods. Um, which I kind of keep seeing the trailer for and I really just do not have any interest in watching it. It's the new Disney musical. I mean, it just looks... Anyway, no, never mind. It's not my cup of tea, but um, Amy Adams has been nominated for Big Eyes, um, which is another film I've heard is quite good uh, performances, but not, not actually Tim Burton's best film. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few big names knocking around. Did you, any of you guys get a chance to look at the um, TV nominations? I'm just having a look at the um, nominees list now, and it's quite interesting that um, House of Cards pops up quite a few times in um, actor actress nominations as well as best series. And given that that's not even been on TV, it's interesting how the online entertainment world is sort of mixing into these mainstream awards now and how that might have an effect in the future. It's quite interesting to see how that will perform. If it's not been on TV, how can it be nominated for best television? Precisely. <laughs> it's been there multiple mm-hmm. times. As is Orange is the New Black as well, so uh, you know, kudos to Netflix, that's two of their original series, and that's a very young network, for want of a better word, you know, in terms of them commissioning shows, they've not been doing that well for, for very long at all, and they've smashed out of the park, really. Anything from, from Amazon's own kind of in-house series? Made it yeah, on no Vikings, unfortunately. No. Or didn't they try to make a Zombieland series as well, Amazon? Oh, uh, yeah. But they've, they've got, um, what's the TV series with uh, the guy from um, Arrested Development in it that they made? Who's uh, cross-dressing, or was he trans- transsexual? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, no, but that, they made that, that's been quite well received. I'm just struggling to try and find it. Oh, no, I've seen, I've seen the advert for it. Um, with George, George Blue Sr. in it. Uh, Just Barrett, that was it. Jeffrey Tambor. He's got a nomination, he, he has, yeah, he's been nominated for, for, for his role in that. So there's one Amazon instant thing there. Oh, I think Transparent's up for the best musical or comedy as well. And you're right there as well. See, this is how well prepared I am. The Scamolic is ever. Things have changed slightly, but ever, you know, some things never changed, do they? So tell you what, what was, um, Surprising, not good as well about the nominations. The best miniseries, uh, The Missing, the BBC drama, got a nod. Mm. Um, which is good to see a, a BBC programme kind of making waves on the Golden Globes. I think that's always good. I've heard, I've heard good things about The Missing. I've not seen it myself. I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, it was very good, although I was very frustrated by the end. Don't let that put you off. <laughs> No, no place, no place for Z Nation in these, uh, these lists. Have you seen that, Alan? I thought you might have been. Z Nation? Yeah. Is that the zombie one? Uh, no, the, uh, it's, it seems to be the, um, 
Sci-Fi Channel's answer to The Walking Dead. So, so bad it's, it's good. So bad it's brilliant. That's good. I don't like those sort of shows. Yeah, I think you'll be all over it. Yeah, me too. Um, anyway, shall we move on to another piece of news where um, Spider-Man 3 is not very good, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really news, but it is nice for the people who made it to admit to how bad it is. Yeah, well, Sam Raimi's um, apparently used the word awful when describing it on a podcast. Um, which is uh, not bad considering he's never admitted what everyone's been telling him for about a decade. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really hated Spider-Man 3. And I was so looking forward to it. I just remember walking out of the cinema thinking that was unrelenting shit. It is terrible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, apparently a quote from him is, it's a movie that just didn't work very well. I tried to make it work, but I didn't really believe in all the characters, so that couldn't be hidden from people who love Spider-Man. If the director doesn't love something, it's wrong of them to make it when so many people, uh, so many other people love it. That's a quote of his. Mm. That point, if he doesn't love it, then it's going to show. So, really, he shouldn't have made it, I think. Or, mm. you know, I know sometimes they're contractually obliged to, to turn things into trilogies, but... And, you know, I'm, not, I'm also aware sometimes these things do go wrong. You try, try to set out with good intentions, but it's also one of those things that was rumoured at the time that he didn't want half the characters um, in the film, like Venom. He didn't want to use Venom at all. Uh, he didn't want to bring back um, James Franco or either. He wanted to have it as just Spider-Man and Sandman. And they said, no. You know, I might have got the characters mixed up there. I'm trying to go on my memory from what I read about it about ten years ago, but you know, I think half of it was he was forced to, to include characters he didn't want. Um, but yeah, it is such a terrible film. Whatever his excuses, it's one of the worst movies I've seen in cinema. It'd be nice, though, if, if a few more directors were as honest as that. George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. You shit. Certainly not, prior, certainly not prior to the release, you're not going to go, well, the film well, is just starting into a load of rubbish, don't go and see it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the other thing. And the other thing, of course, is that um, the uh, supposed leaks from the North Korean hackers who said that Spider-Man might be planned to feature in an upcoming Marvel film. I think it was, wasn't it Captain America 3, the Civil War storyline mm-hmm. film, of which in yeah. the comics apparently Spider-Man is a is a major part. Yeah, it's integral to the story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. 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 I don't know.
basically become Spider-Man versus Spider-Man, which, you know, consumers Marvel don't have the rights to Spider-Man, would be a bit bad. They just have to use someone else. But, yeah, so, you know, it could happen, I suppose. And there's always talk of loaning Spider-Man from studio to studio. It, make, it, it makes sense that they can do that financially for Sony who are on their ass. Yeah, basically, that's the, the crux of it, is that they are on their ass. So, perfectly described. And it makes sense for them to, rather than waste money on an Amazing Spider-Man 3 film or plot, just give it to Marvel. Sell it. Mm. Do you think you for it, though? I think that's one of those things that people will always go and see. Do you think so? Yeah. Like, people go and watch Transformers, don't they? And they're absolutely yeah. shit. They'll never be good. No. So, it's it's so it's it's yeah. yeah. Well, nah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, Spider-Man's... Well, I suppose you're right. It's one of those characters that... I, I hate to bring it to you, but the, the highest grossing UK box office film last year was Transformers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Shall, shall we move on from this? Have a quick break and then get on to the the raft of new releases we've got to wade through. Our first new release, then, for the first uh, podcast of 2015 is The Theory of Everything, starring Eddie Redmayne as uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, Owen and Jerry, you've both seen this, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, what do you both think of it? Um... Oh, and you go first, because I can. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, I um, expected it to be a bit uh, Oscar-baiting, if you know for one of a better phrase. I thought it would be a bit sappy, um, really, I was quite cynical about the reasons for making it. Um, you, you know what, I kind of, also thinks, well, Stephen Hawking is such a brilliant man. It's kind of right that there is a biopic book a biopic uh, of his life and his achievements because he's a remarkable person. And actually, it's a decent <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was. It was okay. Um, mainly because that Stephen Hawking's just a, a you know the life he's led and he's a humorous chap in real life anyway, and they've managed to capture that on screen. I thought Eddie Redmayne was. It's good, as good as you can be It's, it's different in a way to the imitation game then as although Turing was, was a genius and everything like that 
you didn't, people don't tend to know too much about him. Um, whereas Stephen Hawking is, is quite firmly in the public eye quite often. Yeah, particularly for Turing because of that period. I mean, there's a lot written about him and he has been studied quite extensively, but... Mm, but he's not, but he's not period, in terms of mainstream public, Turing yeah, isn't as well known as Hawking. Well, yes, only not as much as, as Stephen Hawking. Um, but let's say, I think he's a, he's a remarkable chap. He's had a remarkable life. The film itself, I thought, captures some of the more interesting aspects of his personal life. Because it could quite so easily have been a dry, boring look at his time at university before he collapsed. And that's not really the most interesting thing about him. Uh, that said, though, I did think he was kind of, he felt a bit watered down, felt a bit bossy. Part of that is because, for some reason, it's just overexposed glowy lights on everything. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. early on with the way star across the woods. Oh, God. It's just like, just, just, you don't need that much light on your camera. Go on and be able to see skin cells for a change. Yes. That'd be nice. But it, it is very much, I thought it was a bit by the numbers. It's okay. It's not exceptional. I'm incredibly surprised to see it nominated for a Golden Globe. I'm incredibly surprised to see the film with it, even though I've read people up there. It's funny, but I, just, I thought it was good without it being exceptional. You know what I mean? Yes. Without wanting to, I hate to do this, but throughout, I was, couldn't help thinking a similar kind of film that's been around for a long time, beautiful mind. I couldn't help comparing it, and it doesn't come out favourably in any comparison with *The Beautiful Mind*. It's a good film, but it's you know it's a Ron Howard Hollywood film. It's very Hollywood, and I thought this was very Hollywood as well. It's not. Well, it just didn't do it for me. No, I think that's the main problem. Like I say, I thought it was an okay film, but it is exactly as you described by the numbers. I mean, there's, it doesn't miss a beat, does it? It just goes for everything. Um, yeah, you've got the romance, then there's the, oh, you know, is his wife cheating on him, isn't she cheating on him, oh, he's got this terrible tragedy, and, it, yeah, I don't know, it, it was very ordinary, but, kind of liked it, I did kind of like it. I didn't really care too much for, for his wife either, I know everyone's going mad about her performance, but, oh uh, yeah, but she just, she just couldn't connect with, with her either. Connected with a slightly more than Stephen Hawking. Just something about the story was just a little bit. Yeah, you know, it was nice. It was a Hollywood on screen thing, but I never really got involved. No, that's, I think that's a fair comment. Um, she basically is his help um, with occasional romantic bits at the start. And, you know, that's all, all she seems to be. They could do, they, they do try to develop the character, I guess. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, going through marriage and the birth of two children via montage is <laughs> not the most in-depth exploration of a romance, is it? Like, this is the thing, it's, 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 it's the romance behind Stephen Hawking's science. It's like, alright, so when he got married, both of his children coming about, and that just happens through montages early on, which is a bit, I don't know if you're really going to look at the day-to-day struggle of their married life and how they did it. It just picked up the gets like, in a party and stuff. It didn't even go into the nitty-gritty enough early on for you to care later on when 
trying to go a bit more in depth. Does that make sense? No, it does. Um, I don't think the supporting cast was particularly noteworthy either, by the way. You know, mentioning Felicity Jones, but um, what, uh, Simon McBurney, his, uh, his father, didn't really like his performance, I have to say. I didn't think yeah. he was particularly, not that he wasn't particularly good, I thought he was a bit annoying. Um, I don't know whether his character was meant to be annoying or whether it was just his performance, but he, there was something about his um, mannerisms, like you, you kind of, at one point it suggested that he's not really accepted what's happened to Stephen, you know, because there's a point where um, Stephen Hawking and, and his wife Jane go to visit Stephen's parents and they've not even bothered installing like a ramp up the stairs, they still have to try and carry him up, up this these huge amount of stairs uh, or steps, and it's just—it's one of those things, like like you said, Jerry, that they just gloss over. There could have been more to it, but even the performance of the character—I didn't really. The only reason I got the idea that okay, this is meant to be him not accepting what's happened was through Felicity uh, Jones's his character, not through him. I just—he was like a prop, basically. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I'm. <laughs> Overall, it's, it's probably worth watching, but don't go out your way because it's better stuff than the moment. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, up next in is Birdman, starring Mike Peak and Lawson. Um, Owen, you've seen this, haven't you? I have seen this, yeah. I watched it um, last week. Um, and I've been struggling to think about how to review it ever since, actually. It's received um, a lot of, of positive reviews and, and possible, uh, or a bit of Oscar I believe, as well. Is that justified in your mind? Com- completely, yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I, I loved it, um, as I said a, a bit earlier in the podcast. Um, I mean, I'll very quickly try and explain it to start with. Um, it's directed by... <laughs> I'm going to try, I'm going to try. Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. It is now. It is now. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, but he's a Mexican director, probably um, at a push, best known for his film, uh, the brilliant Amaros Peros. Although, all of his films, I think, are highly, highly regarded. Uh, Beautiful with Javier Bardem and 21 Grams of They do all very well received. However, I've only seen Peros the most, and Birdman is, I think, his first attempt at a, uh, uh, a comedy. I'm quite hesitant to describe it as a comedy, though, because it's, it's not a traditional comedy film. It's just a bit odd. It's very peculiar. Um, yeah. I mean, so, although the title probably suggests it's not actually a superhero film, it's not actually about a superhero called Birdman. Um, it's about an aging actor. Played by Michael Keaton, who used to be in a trilogy of blockbuster superhero films 20 years ago, playing the character Birdman. Um, you know, kind of mimicking his, his career with, with Batman. Um, however, he's now older, he constantly hears the sarcastic voice of Birdman in his head, um, with everything he tries to do, sort of nagging at him, um, criticising him. Uh, but he's trying to kind of have a go at making something of his career now by putting on a show on Broadway, and he's attempting to adapt the Raymond Palmer story, what we talk about when we talk about love. 
uh, and he's the writer, he's the director, and stars just in the leading role in this production. So it seems kind of boring when I say it like that, but the genius in the film is more about the way that it's made. So it's almost, it's almost two hours long, normally say. Um, but the plot takes place over the course of three days. However, it's more film as if the whole movie is just one long continuous single shot. Uh, so you can, you know, like, well, Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock's film program. It all seems like it's just one shot. However, it only spans three days. So, it's two hours long, it spans three days, but it's all like one single shot. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird, like I say. So, um, starts at the beginning with him recasting one of the characters in his play at the last minute, and he ends up getting in uh, Ed Norton's character, who's a smug, self-aggrandizing, full of himself, authentic New York actor, you know. Uh, and then he goes from that to the disastrous preview show, um, all the way through to the morning after of the opening night of his play. And, uh, obviously, it's absolutely fucking brilliant. I love it. I love the soundtrack, which is mainly just one bloke backing on a drum set in a kind of jazz percussion sort of way. And then he occasionally actually pops up and film himself playing the drums. I love the acting in it. I can't really decide who was better between Keaton and Norton. Um, I think this tops any performance of theirs in the past. And yeah, even better than he was in American History X, by the way. Um, Norton. Yeah, but Keaton's just sensational. He absolutely is sensational. He's extremely funny. Uh, he's manic. I mean, you can see he's completely absorbed in his role. And it's just, it, it's a joy to watch actors be that good. And, uh, actually, I can tell you what, it's like watching the guy who played Beetlejuice now fulfilling his potential as an actor, you know, in his sort of comedic, weird sort of films. Rather than the guy who was wasting away his potential in, in shit like white noise, you know, it's that kind of, that, that's how it feels. Um, but the, su- the support cast in this are all fantastic. Naomi Watts is in it, uh, Emma Stone, um, Andrea Riseborough, uh, Zach Gallagher, Nate is, uh, I can't pronounce that one, I'm giving up, I'm pronouncing them properly. But you know, even they're all fantastic. Some of the shots used, uh, are just breathtaking as well. I can't fathom how some of the scenes were even filmed. I mean, there's one scene where one minute you've got a camera pointing at the roof of a building, and then it glides down the side of the building, and goes across the street and he goes in through a window on the opposite side and then builds the next scene. And it's just, I don't know, I don't know how it's done. It's obviously a trick and I'm gonna have to research it more because, and I really want to research it more because it's just one of those films that was <coughs> mind-boggling and brilliant. But yeah, I just loved it. Uh, most of it, there's, there's some bits I wasn't so keen on, some of the dialogue occasionally. I mean, I like Demonstrate's performance. Um, playing uh, Keaton's recently out of rehab daughter. Um, I liked her performance, but not so much some of the things her, her character did on screen. But it's not detracted, it's still an overall amazing film. It's, if I had to sum it up in one sentence, I think it's deliberately and anarchically hypocritical. Because it slacks off blockbuster movies and the kinds of people who throw money at, the, at films like Transformers and Michael Bay. Um, but then in the next scene, it's kind of subtly mocking the pretentious, holier-than-thou, morons who sneer and turn their nose up at things that are going on. Um, so 
because yeah, there's rats, there's tirades, beautifully delivered put downs in there as well. Really emotional at times, surprisingly. Uh, very self-aware, existential. Played to poke fun at itself, and I think that's the main thing about it. It's just a really fun and funny film. I loved it. Okay. Um, next is the woman in black, Angel of Death. Um, sequel to The Woman in Black for a few years ago starring Daniel Radcliffe he's not in this one though um, it's a prequel um, you don't have to have seen um, the, the first one to kind of understand this um, it starts in World War 2 with some children being evacuated from London where it's being bombed um, to a remote country house on an island somewhere in the countryside um, which is obviously haunted um, by the woman in black um, it is like many horror films now um, filled with plenty of jumps and bangs and things popping out of nowhere to make you jump but doesn't leave you kind of creeped out um, you know, I think as James said many times for you know, horror films he likes them to make him run up the stairs a bit quicker at night, this one isn't going to do that, like like many horror films it's not going to make you stay awake, it's not going to keep you awake you're going to kind of forget about it almost as, as as soon as you walk out of the cinema but in terms of making you jump it's going to, it does that plenty it does it well but it's, it just doesn't have a lasting effect. There are a couple of creepy moments, or unnerving moments, with children trying to commit suicide and things, which is generally quite creepy. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, another modern horror film that kind of plugs along, does its job, but doesn't do it well. It does it, does it okay. Um, the performance is, Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it. My girlfriend was sat next to me and crushed my hand, I think, uh, for the duration of the film. Yes. Um, I wish it was something else, but it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, yes, no, it's, yeah, still hurts a bit now, but yeah, I can remember that more. I can remember what happened in the film. The performances were okay from, from the, from the lead actors. The, the main child actor was a bit, well, was a bit nothing really, but, um, children, it's easy to do, never mind. Um, yeah, it was, all, it was all just okay. Yeah, by tomorrow I'm going to more or less completely have forgotten about it. I have. That's how I felt about the first one, to be honest. The, uh, the, the other one, the, the Hammer Horror one, from 2012. I just felt like it was completely I wasn't really keen to see this one either. Although I did kind of enjoy The Quiet Ones last year, which was also Hammer Horror, but yeah, no, no reason as far as I can see other than the fact that they think they'll get a, money, a bit of money out of it by producing this prequel. I mean, what's there to tell, really? Isn't he explained in the original Woman in Black? I, I don't know, because I've not, I've not seen it, but I mean, in this one, yeah, they do get a brief bit of backstory on 
the woman in black and mighty sporting people, but not not a great deal. There's no, as far as I can see, other than the woman in black herself is a, is a, a character or an entity. There's no link between the two things uh, and the location as well. There's no kind of link, no character or anything that links the two things together. Um, the other one as well was an adaptation of a stage play, wasn't it? Yeah, because so it's meant to be extremely popular and, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I've heard, yeah. Um, but, you know, that has a, a thing that it's adapted. You know, if you think of the old Hammer Horror films, Dracula and Frankenstein and all that, they were adapted something else. So I don't really get where this comes from. No. I just... Yeah, no yeah. interest in seeing that. And it's a shame because I do want the Hammer Horrors revival to go well. Yeah. I do want them to continue to make more produce good films, so, yeah, that's no, a shame. Okay, and the final film for us to review then uh, for this week was seen by Matt, and that is Exodus starring uh, Christian Bell as Moses. Yeah, um... It's a bit of an interesting one, this, and I'll be interested to get everyone's take on this as well, because I know you've seen it, but um, it was um, thought-provoking enough to get me to write about it as soon as I got home from the cinema, so it's certainly not all bad, but there's certainly plenty to critique about it at the same time. Uh, so as you touched on, Steve, Christian Bale plays uh, Moses, and he's uh, joined by Joel Edgerton, who plays um, Ramses, the of subsequent ruler of Egypt after the beginning of the movie. Um, and the, the two of them have a, a very interesting um, chemistry between them, or, or let's say dynamic, which is very similar to that of Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator, whereby there's a, there's a little bit of an inadvertent power struggle between them. And it does follow a very similar formula to Gladiator as it progresses out of the movie, whereby you have uh, the reluctant favoured uh, son uh, in the form of Moses, but from the existing ruler, and then the the would-be successor who is definitely less accomplished as a as a ruler, who actually is the one who comes to power and banishes Moses from Egypt. Um, and so, as you probably figured out, it follows the, um, the book of Exodus story with the rise of. Moses, the leader of the Hebrews, and leads them out of uh, Egyptian slavery. And whilst it's um, it's very big and epic in size and grandeur, it doesn't really deliver on excitement so much. Whereas Gladiator, for instance, with the by the same director with Scott, of course, is quite well paced with several key uh, fight sequences throughout the movie, which that you are excited and, and looking forward to what's coming next. Exodus doesn't really have that. It's its main battle sequence is over quite early in the movie, and then it relies on being entirely plot driven thereafter, which is difficult because you pretty much know what's going to happen if you have the reality of the final story. Yeah. Um, so, how it's expected to really hold the audience's attention and the excitement level to be high throughout it is extremely difficult. Um, I found it interesting because it's a period of history that, that I enjoy reading about, uh, although not necessarily for its uh, religious context. Um, so I probably enjoyed it more than the average viewers game to like it. Um, I could see a casual viewership being quite bored 
by the midway point of the film, to be honest, due to the lack of um, action in the movie, which all the pre-release uh, marketing seemed to indicate there would be some huge epic battles in there. There just isn't enough of that, I don't think, to keep it tasty for most people. Um, on the plus side, um, the costume and makeup and set design of the movie is phenomenal. Everything looks extremely beautiful. The outfits are amazing. Uh, they do an excellent job of replicating the history that is the subject matter for the film, so no complaints there whatsoever. And if the film has any hope whatsoever of picking up any accolades during uh, award season, that's going to be the area in which it's going to have a chance to do so. It certainly isn't going to be anything in terms of movie quality or performances from its main actors. Um, the other thing that really peeved me off about this, which I mentioned in my article, filmcritics.com, is some really pointless casting movie, which really I couldn't get my head around. Um, Christian Bale and George are fair enough in two main roles, but then you have a lot of decent heavyweight performers in very trivial roles. They're so um, intent on making people look so Egyptian, if you can't even tell who they are. Um, for instance, there's John Turturro, who's the, the existing pharaoh at the time, who I didn't recognise, Sigourney Weaver, I didn't recognise, and you know, to a degree this is down to my own ignorance perhaps, but if if I'm any kind of barometer for, for the audience they're getting out, it's like, why are they wasting billions on hiring these people for control there? They could be done by literally anybody, and it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever to the quality of the movie. So, so did, they, did they actually have any Egyptians in the film, or were they all Western this is the thing, uh, Joey, there's a lot of um, Caucasian Western actors in all the main roles. You have Ben Kingsley, who's a English Indian, uh, who plays one of the Hebrew elders in there, so that's kind of baffling. And then when it came to Egyptians, I don't think there was any um, North African actors in there whatsoever, but they did have a couple of... Um, actors and actresses who were from uh, Arabic um, yeah just a little uh, sort of, yeah. yeah heritage that's a little bit more sorry so it's, it's, it's weird how they went for actors of that heritage for those two year old but then one else they just sold them out to the widest of white western actors they could, they could find it was really bizarre and that was a, a point of contention for me and it the, the story itself really does lean very heavily towards uh, the Zionist stance of the story. So I can see anyone who is of Islamic faith or, or of Arabic heritage to really not get on with this movie whatsoever because it essentially paints everything that was good about ancient Egypt as being on the sweaty backs and hard work of um, Hebrew slaves, which may or may not be true to a certain extent. Obviously, they were. Um, very badly. But um, I think the, the ancient Egyptian empire was responsible for a lot more good in the world than, than probably bad. But it certainly doesn't highlight the regime in that way whatsoever. Um, what did you think of it, Aaron? Um, I thought that... <laughs> can, I, can I just be honest as well? Just for something. I fell asleep in the cinema. For what I thought was wow. just like five minutes, that's the first time I've ever fallen asleep in the cinema. Um, first film that's ever made me doze off. And I thought I'd fallen asleep for five minutes. And then when I was reading the review today, 
Um, I thought, I don't remember that happening. So I must have gone for about 20 minutes just a full on kick during this film. Um, it was boring as hell. That's what I thought of it. It was really dull. Really incredibly dull. The, the first, I don't know how long it was, probably 20, 25 minutes was okay. It's just that it suffers the same problem. I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit that the sets are brilliant. The, 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 the costume design's fantastic. Um, I thought the acting was pretty good, although it is a bit weird how you've got people like um, Ben Mendelssohn and Aaron Paul and Ben Kingsley putting on these, these strange accents and are a little bit tan. That's basically makes them, that basically makes them Egyptian, apparently. But, you know, uh, uh, it, it was okay to start with. It was fairly interesting. You mentioned John Edgerton as well, uh, as Ramses, who it was much better than I thought he would be. And I thought him and Christian Bale worked quite well opposite each other too. But there's the moment, I mean, small things, it does, everyone knows the story of Moses, so I'm not spoiling it. The moment he is booted out, the moment he's exiled, Moses is exiled, um, I thought the film really went downhill. And then everything involving him turning into Rambo in the desert to, um, meeting his, his future wife and then the time jump and the mountain stuff, I just found it really tedious. Even when the, the plague stuff was happening, this, this is the bit that is supposed to be interesting. This is supposed to be the exciting, entertaining, tense uh, moment. And it was kind of just nothing. Uh, I was a couple of bits during the plague scenes where I looked out an audible gasp and so I thought they were quite impressive. Uh, only because I thought there was something bigger coming towards the end, a big climactic events, mm. and what you're given right at the end simply wasn't good enough, it didn't live up to the massive amount of waiting around you have to do it, and like you say, go through the, these um, isolation scenes with Moses talking to himself constantly, and just not enough is happening in the movie, and I think as a highlight, they do a good job of profiling the sort of uh, maniacalism of Ramses as he becomes more and more power driven um, as he remains in control uh, and how it, his ignorance in regards to the warnings he's getting from the plagues and he just uses to ignore them. But even even his turn from being you know, okay he's got slaves and he's not a very nice person really, he goes from being well he's just a spoiled prince to becoming you know, paranoid ruler who, who's quite aggressive and yeah, it turns out it just sort of a switch and it happens and that's it. Yeah, well, there's a massive contradiction in the movie though when, uh, again, not to, to overly spoil for people who haven't seen it yet, but, but right at the beginning of the movie there's a scene whereby Ramses is nearly killed in the opening battle and there's a, uh, a legacy given by some sorceress at the beginning that says um, the future ruler will, will save the existing ruler in the next coming battle. And Ramses is very paranoid about that particular prophecy. Whereas later in the movie, once he's king, and he's been given all these warnings by um, the, the number of plagues that hit him, he chooses to completely ignore them. It, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, most of the film doesn't. I mean, I also thought it was 
don't know whether you felt the, the same thing, but or if anyone actually, if any of you, you guys watched Noah last year, um, the Aronofsky film, I thought both of them have something that feels slightly apologetic about its religious aspect, because it's not ever fully committed to being a biblical ethic. It's always to be a historical ethic with some, you know, Christian or, as in this case it's here, sort of Hebrew, uh, Jewish overtones to it. Know, there's not any point in the film where there's, no, there's a lot of talk about faith, a lot of talk about um, God in particular, and obviously with Moses and his relationship to it. But at the same time, it could just be there are, there are a lot of people who are fully, um, they, they believe in, in, in God, and you've also then got Moses who goes from being probably atheist almost, on the verge of being atheist, to fully believing in God when he has a book on the noggin, and that's what sends him that way. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it could be explained away as a lot of coincidence. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree with that, yeah. It's not a, a, an overwhelmingly holy presence about the movie, which, if that's what it was trying to get out, it didn't deliver on whatsoever. Okay, a, a couple more films to review quickly there before we finish up. Uh, Jerry has seen Enemy, which has been out for a while in some places, but Jerry got to see it this week. Yeah, well, I did actually see it last year in preview in the UK and Ireland are actually the, literally the last places in the world to get this film released. It's bizarre why it's been released. I don't know. I felt the issue was some kind of distribution problem or argument. The main thing you need to realise is that while it's taken a long, long time, it's probably freely available on the internet as well by now. Um, it's also being streamed by the studio uh, at the same time as it's being released in a general kind of cinema release, which is, we've talked about this before, it's happened a few times, hasn't it, where a film gets a, like a, a simultaneous home and cinema release. Now, I find it very interesting that that's happening. It's a very big challenge to the model. Whether you want to go out and watch it or watch it at home, Fucking watch it. <laughs> Apologies if this is meant to be a PG podcast, but the more I think about this film, and, and I watched it kind of last, uh, I don't know, May maybe, the more I just, I need to watch it again. It's fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, you can't talk about it too much because you don't want to give it away. But basically, Jake Gyllenhaal plays both of the main characters. Um, he essentially finds someone who looks exactly like him and starts to explore it. There's loads of different interpretations as to what their relationship between the two of them is, about reality. It's just... It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's similar to nothing I've ever seen, but also similar to everything you've seen in the kind of thriller, psychological horror genre. And I just, I just wish someone else had seen it to try and figure out what the hell happens in it. Um, it's kind of like an art house David Lynch Paul Thomas Anderson Christopher Nolan film does that make sense? I don't know how that it sounds fucking brilliant for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic it's out I'm proud it's getting featured circulation I've seen it actually popping up on my uh, social media feeds like on Facebook I've had a couple of adverts through 
uh, on my Facebook just to say that it is streaming at home as well. It's absolutely worth seeing. I'm recording it, not watching it again. Just going to watch it so many times to get my head around it. Um, it's, it's just mad. It's crazy. The ending, she'll just sit there in silence for about five minutes at the end trying to figure out what the fuck you just watched. Okay, and Owen, uh, you have seen Unbroken, uh, starring Jack O'Connell and uh, directed by Andrew Jolie. Um, tell us about yeah. that one quickly. It's, yeah, I'll just do it quickly because, um, well, we were running out of time for one. But yeah, it's Angelina Jolie's um, directorial debut, I think. Um, it's written as well by the Coen's Coen brothers. Joel and Ethan wrote it in the script for the screenplay. Um, it's a bit of a true story um, of uh, Louis Samferini, who was uh, an Olympic athlete. He, was, he went to the German Olympics in the 30s and um, ended up uh, as a bombardier during the World War, uh, the Second World War. And he was involved in a plane crash, um, they landed the sea, then you spend about half an hour of the film with him in a raft. Very good uh, alongside Jack O'Connor, who himself was, was brilliant. But Donald Gleeson, who um, seems to be in quite a lot of things actually, he seems, he seems to be popular in, uh, all over the place. Um, but he, he was also uh, in it and very good. But yeah, no, it's just all about Jack O'Connell, really, as uh, Louis Zemperini, he's brilliant. Um, but after, the, after they've drifted about on the sea for a while, they end up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. So, when I was watching it, I just thought, well, this is just like a million and one of the Japanese prisoner of war films. Because the first half of the film is uh, it's just like a survival film with clips going back to his history, his, his childhood and his sort of um, family and things like that. And then the second half of the film is all set in this Japanese prisoner of war camp. And the pace of the film is, is certainly goes very slow. It's very, very slow. Um, but you know, it's okay. It's alright. Um, I enjoyed it more than Exodus. I didn't fall asleep during it, so that's a, a positive. Uh, but it's just a bit of a mixed bag overall. It was, it also, one of the things that, that I noticed whilst watching it, it seemed very precise. You know, everything that Angelina and Joey was doing seemed to a very keen and very specific rule book. You know, the way it was shot, the angles even that were used to produce certain scenes just seemed very... I mean, it seemed technically good. It just wasn't... It didn't seem very inspirational. Um, but it, yeah, basically it's saved by having terrific performances and quite a, a touching story, all told. Uh, drags a bit, just definitely drag a bit through the prisoner of war camp. Some of it, like I say, a bit obvious, a bit simple, but it is a true story, so I suppose they just try to tell what happens to it, and Captain Hall really is brilliant. I really liked it in 71 last year and Stardom, and I know you, you watched them both as well, Steve, and you, and you sort of, well, you watched 71, I think, and yeah, and also he's brilliant in that, isn't he? He's very good. He is, yeah, very good. Um, um, but in this, he's playing an American, so he's got an American accent, uh, or an Italian-American, and um, doesn't matter, this, this is probably his best performance. It's 
a very... I mean, you just know exactly what kind of film it's going to be like. And it's that exactly that sort of film. But he is very good in it. He's undeniably good. I preferred him in this to Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything. I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. Okay. Uh, so that's all for our new releases. I think it's enough there to keep you going uh, get you into the cinema if you want to two of them. Before we go quickly, we're just going to uh, run through our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for uh, Saturday night, ITV, 20 past 9, and Skyfall. Uh, Owen? I'm going something, uh, what, called something, let me try the intro, I'm going for something called Drug War, which is on uh, Film 4 on Friday, 10 past 11. Um, Chinese film by Johnny Toe, who's quite a prolific uh, Cantonese film director. Kind of a bit like Infernal Affairs, so, you know, that sort of cops versus gangs, something. Spare 100 minutes, no holes barred, very good film. Okay, Jerry? Can I go with a Netflix recommendation? Can I do? Um, I watched, uh, last weekend, I watched Lock, which has just been added to UK Netflix. It's literally an hour and a half of Tom Hardy in a BMW making calls on his hands-free. And it's actually really good, despite sounding mental. If he's in a BMW, he's probably tailgating someone like a <laughs> Well, the one issue I had with it is he kept showing the speed of where he's like, supposed to be doing 80, and from the view outside, he's doing 55, 60, he's that annoying prank, he's not going fast enough on the motorway, if anything. <laughs> anyway, um, Matt, what are you recommending? recommending? Give something a little bit older, um, one of my favourite sort of dark comic book hero movies, The Crow, is on um, Sky Movies and uh, Sci-Fi and Horror on Thursday night at 9pm, if you can't catch that one, it's on Monday at 10.25 on Sky, Superhero. Okay. Um, very, 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 very quickly before we go, for those of you who saw the theory of everything, did anyone spot a cameo in there from someone you might not expect to see in a film? Stanley? No. <laughs> I, I watched Big Hero 6, by the way. I'm not going to talk about it because it's not for a while yet. There, there's a very, just because you mentioned cameos, Stanley's cameo in that is very well hidden. I quite like that one. But anyway, no, I didn't spot a cameo in the theory of everything. No. If I said a footballer um, doing a bit of acting, does that help? Not doing a big one. No. <laughs> was it Vinnie Jones? No, it was, it was Frank LeBeouf. What? Frank LeBeouf played a doctor in The Theory of Everything. Oh, I'm going to have to get out because I don't remember that. I'm not having you on. Frank LeBeouf. Um, yes! Yeah, he did! Oh my god! I just realised who he was. <laughs> which, which doctor? The French one. Obviously the French one, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I did not recognise him as the doctor at all. I suppose I just was not expecting him to be in it. Wow. Yeah. There you go. If we should have got that because he is, he is bald. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bald, slightly stubbly and uh, French. Yeah, slightly. Yeah, so... Jerry, is that blowing your mind more or less than Big Mo and EastEnders being... Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Every day I wake up and question my, my existential crisis. <laughs> Big Mo and... Carry on with the latest. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's all for this week's, this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back 
next week with another one and some Golden Globe results to go through. Uh, thanks to everyone who's listened and the website www.cricket.com Why don't you go over there and read one of the many articles that have been going up in the last week or so. Uh, thanks as well to Matt and Joe for joining us this week and hopefully they'll be back on soon. Thank you.